Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts that guide the global pork industry. Today's episode is brought to you by sponsors like SwineWeb.com, your one-stop destination for all of the latest swine news, commentary, videos, events, and industry hot topics in animal health and feed. Log on to SwineWeb.com today. And Innovative Heating, the manufacturer of Hog Hearth, the most energy-efficient and only antimicrobial heat mat for the swine industry. Reduce maintenance costs and lower your electric bill today. For more information, visit hoghearth.com. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about how ASF has changed the pork industry globally and in China. Joining me is Mr. PJ Corns. PJ is a producer and proactive advisor from Iowa and now lives in Barcelona, Spain. He has his own company and has spent his entire career working for some of the largest pork roasting systems in the world. How are you, PJ? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Matthew. Thanks for joining us. I mean, the first thing I want to jump off with is, I mean, how does someone from Ames end up in Barcelona? Yeah, that's a winding story. Um, so uh, I've been in this business now, um, this industry, for uh, a little over 20 years. So um, started out way back in the heyday in North Carolina um, with uh, Smithfield, or back then it would have been a Murphy Farms. So, um, you know, kind of jumped in it. I had never seen a pig before in my life before I uh, started to work there. So, um, yeah, started in the business, um, started out with a uh, – a very clever title from uh, from my first farm manager, John Bullard. So shout out to John in Beaver Dam, North Carolina. He gave me the title of, uh, it was something along the lines of um, Farringhouse Sanitation Technician. So uh, <laughs> after three months with that, I realized that was washing crates. So um, um, anyway, after three months, uh, John was a very good people manager. Um, three months of that, I approached John and said, is there anything else I can do? Um, and I think at that point, it started my career off to where I'm at today. Um, so I worked my way, um, always in live production, uh, most of the time. Um, you know, worked my way through some systems and uh, went to the Midwest, uh, Minnesota, and then Iowa. Ran a, ran a reproduction end of a large company in Iowa, one of the largest uh, in the U.S. And then um, had, the, had the distinct opportunity to go to work for a genetic company, a global genetic company, PIC. Um, and... Uh, um, the opportunity was there to go to a place I'd never been before, um, work in an in, in industry or, you know, the, the EU industry, which I had no idea what was going on, um, and uh, uproot my family. And by the way, I don't speak their language. Um, so I said, sign me up. I'm ready to go. So uh, that's how I got to Barcelona, um, a small uh uh, sojourn back to to Iowa for a year because it was a uh, thing to do with the company at the time was the right thing to do. But when I left Europe and I left uh, my my the people I work with in Russia and Asia, you know, it was always in the back of my mind that um, um, there there was a real need for technical service and a real need for somebody who had experiences and uh, could bring value. And at the time, you know, a lot of the tech services, you know, honestly in 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 Europe were. Um, 
um, I don't know a good analogy, um, you know, kind of like a, a, the toy in a Happy Meal. You know, you got it whether you wanted it or not, very low value. Um, it was cool for a while and you forgot about it. So um, I wanted to kind of define that a little bit better. So build the, the offering up from scratch. Um, so I came back to that and as present um, work, oh, Russia, a lot in Asia and, and obviously here in, in, in Europe. And uh, I love every bit of it. I love what I do. I would love to be traveling right now, but unfortunately, um, I think I'm in about day 46 of this lockdown. Not that I'm counting, but uh, that's where I'm at. No, it's actually pretty interesting to see where you've moved throughout your journey in the industry. Uh, I was born in Kinston and then moved to Iowa and I've traveled to Barcelona, so I, I, at least I've seen where you've been. <laughs> I guess uh, the, the nicest thing about Barcelona, North Carolina, is you got that ocean right there, which is kind of handy. When, I, I, I will not complain. When we look at, I guess, the subject of COVID-19, when you're talking to your clients, your contacts, how have the European supply chains been able to stay fully op rather fully operational? Compared to some of the things we're seeing in North North America, I mean, especially since Europe is a little bit more compact than the U.S., and I, I, I'm really interested to hear how they've been addressing all of this. Yeah, so, you know, um, uh, that's a really good point. I mean, and the one that's that's kind of, you know, the, the elephant in the room, you know, is how, how, how is the, you know, when we look at Spain and we look at, you know, uh, the per capita death rate and all that stuff. And believe me, I am not an expert in, in, in this COVID-19. I just know what I read and what we're experiencing here. But, you know, how are, how are things able to, to keep rolling here? Um, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying it's perfect, but, you know, in Spain, uh, Southern Europe, and, and the group I work with in Croatia, um, I don't know exactly what's going on in the U.S. I mean, obviously, I'm connected with my associates there. I'm connected with people working in the business there. Um, so I know that in and I know what I read. So I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to say that I know what's going on there. But as far as specifically, you know, again, getting back to, to here, you know, and looking at that, I spent the morning on the phone with the VALS group, specifically Albert Vidal, who was the director of the, the Yeda group here in Spain. And, you know, the, the thing that I can really, I guess, as I look at that, you know, um, was just the even before the shutdown started with the people, the stay at home and, and Spain and, and specifically Croatia were, were extremely, um, you know, uh, there, there was no fans or butts. This is when it went in. Um, you know, they were already making these plans. Um, matter of fact, I was in Croatia, uh, started there on Monday. I would normally spend a week in a, in, a, in a client. And I started there on a Monday, and we, we were just talking a little bit about this flu thing that we saw happening. And, and, you know, by Thursday and Friday, we're like, man, this is the real deal. So we need, we need to make some, make, make some plans here. So, um, you know, one thing I could point out, they were super rapid on implementing things like the social distancing. Um, no doubt about it. That went, in, that went into place not only in the slaughter plants, but also into the, you know, the, the production end of things because, you know, uh, Val's, uh, the Bellier group I'll talk about in Croatia, those would be very American as far as, uh, you know, the vertical integration, the Bellier groups vertically integrated all the way through retail. So um, 
Um, you know, they have the whole supply chain there to think about. And I, you know, I look at that, they kicked this in well before the government said, hey, we're shutting down borders. And I think that was a big one. The sanitation, um, you know, that ramped up, you know, we obviously like everybody, we didn't know what we were getting into. We knew, you know, how to deal with PED, how to deal with PERS, how to deal with, you know, Delta coronavirus. So we kind of kicked in that thought process of, okay, we need to sanitize, sanitize the break rooms, split up the farm staffs really on the front end of that. And that, and that even happens into the slaughter plant. And then, um, you know, the, the, even, even something uh, like transportation, when I look at the valves group, um, you know, they, they rented 60, let me, let me get this right, 60 person buses where they'll put 18 employees in to get them to work to keep the social distancing. So that granular level of thinking, um, you know, um, I think has really paid off. Um, we're, we always knock on wood. It's, it's okay right now. Um, and, you know, the, the other part, and again, I, I hesitate to go down this road, but I mean, we can't underestimate that stay at home order that we had. You know, I think as I look at this, fundamentally, Spain will be different than South Dakota, than Iowa, as far as we were locked in. You didn't test that. The people who tested that, you know, um, paid rather dearly out of their pockets. So, um, you know, that was another thing that I think fundamentally was there, that stay at home order. Um, people were just going to work. And uh, again, I don't, I, I think that sticks out to me. So yeah, to kind of add some context, when it comes to the U.S. right now, about oh, two weeks ago, a lot of the bigger packing plants started shutting down because of massive outbreaks of COVID within their workforce. That has led to a drastic issue where producers can't sell their hogs to market. So a lot of individuals are, basically everybody's adjusting their nutrition plan to slow down the growth of hogs. Uh, there's some euthanasia taking place, as well as many other other uh, changes in day-to-day -day activities. I know that Ohio has done a really good job within the states. Um, they reacted very early. I know one of the major pork producers there had a situation where they split up their work crews, and so they took an eight-man team, and they had four people work 12-hour days for four days, and then the other crew would come in just in case somebody got it, they wouldn't have to shut down the entire farm. Um, there is uh, a lot of talk about whether or not the meat packing plants have done a good job of social distancing, but from what I've seen within commercial production, they reacted very early. Everybody shut the doors, and if you weren't supposed to be there, you definitely um, couldn't get in, and and uh, even veterinarians have, have fought pretty hard to, to get on farm if needed. So it's been interesting, and I'm curious how you think all of the changes that have come out of COVID and all the things that they that it's done to impact our lives. How do you think that's going to impact the future of European pork production? Yeah, so I mean, that, those those are good points. And again, you know, um, and and I've I've tried to pick my brain about this. You know, going going back to the Val situation and 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 the you know the Bellier situation and and. Um, you know, I, I think another part of this is to step back a little bit has been the, the open communication. I know Val's has been, you know, not only communicating daily to their employees about what's going on, but also communicating to the community. And I think, you know, again, that, that kind of sticks out because this, this is, you know, 
this is obviously um, this is all unknown. So um, I don't know. I've I've always learned in the case of unknown, you you clearly communicate, and I think um, they've done that also. Um, so I my hats off to them for doing that. As far as you know. Um, the changes, um, it, it's, it's still early, um, obviously. We're, we're still learning. But, you know, in the EU, you know, when we look at what the EU is, you know, um, you know, the definition, I think, of the EU is open borders and open trade, right? That is what the EU is. And, you know, that's a beautiful thing. You know, it's, it's like the U.S. supply chain. It's beautiful while it's working until it doesn't, you know. So what we've run into here is, you know, um, you know, what happens when that EU, that flow, um, that, that happens that we're used to, that cross-border um, movement, what happens when that doesn't happen, you know? And I think, you know, some of the things that we've, you know, especially on the front end have to look at is, um, you know, things like uh, live animal transport, um, you know, the policies around that as we got into this. And again, I was sitting in Croatia and, and moving across to flying out of, out of uh, Hungary and even the movement of people was different. So the animal movement, I think, as we're getting into this, um, you know, we, we've developed these green lines for uh, green lines, meaning, you know, uh, animals won't sit at a border for, you know, upwards of whatever, you know, even 24 hours. The green lines will be where animals can move quicker through there. Um, but again, we just, I think what's going to come out of this is a more cohesive, um, approach to that movement of animals because again you don't want to change your the target those targets are going to be tough however they come out but at least they'll be I think um, you know not moving targets when you move country to country um, and I and I think the other thing that we've seen is you know again going back to what the EU is that open market um, you know in the cases where we have to close down borders that doesn't work quite so well. So, you know, looking at, you know, contingency plans for things, you know, from materials to supplies and especially to things like grains, you know, um, we have to have a better understanding. And I, I, I think the word is, um, you know, I know we've got a, a PG audience, but you got to have a go to hell plan, um, you know, for better for sourcing uh, more locally. And I think that will come out of this also is when we close these borders, when this inevitably happens again, and maybe it doesn't, hopefully it doesn't, but we have a backup plan to sourcing our materials so we don't have to get caught, you know, if we want to, uh, you know, bring grains in through Odessa to go through Romania to get into some place like, you know, um, you know, Germany, we, we have to have a local sourcing. So I think those two things that live animal transport and that thinking around sourcing closer um, are going to come into play. That's, that's really interesting to hear too, because in the U S it has been such a different uh, experience. We didn't have necessarily closed off States and it's, it's a lot easier to control that as well from the U S perspective, since it is under one country. But it'll be fascinating to look back at this uh, six months, a year, two years from now and see what were some of the advantages of closing off the state or closing off the countries throughout the EU. And then what were some of the disadvantages and how does that translate to how the U.S. went through it? We will not be at a lack for various options of how this was addressed. And I, I look at that from a glass half full perspective, hoping that 
if this happens again, we're going to have plenty of data to pull from that tells us exactly how we should address this, which is exciting. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like anything. We're, 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 it's early. We're learning. You know, the things we think that might be so smart now might, might not be that way in the future. But, um, again, I, it's, it's learning this whole thing. <laughs> you know, from A to Z is a, is a new learning. And, uh, you know, um, there's no doubt. I'm confident we will, we will get smarter and we'll get stronger because of this. So on another topic, uh, hopping over, let's say, to ASF in Europe and Asia, you've been highly connected to individuals that have been facing that. A couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Dr. Shane McAuliffe from Ireland, and he's also very involved from a northern and western um, Europe standpoint. It sounds like it's not a matter of if, it's more of a matter of when with Europe. And so if you just might jump into that and maybe talk about what is ASF, and what is the current status? Yeah, so ASF, um, you know, uh, being here in Spain, you know, I think it was back in, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm way off on my uh, stepping out of my comfort zone here. But, the, I mean, ASF's been around for quite some time. Um, you know, there was a, a bout of that in, the, in, in Spain back in the 80s. Um, and, and the resurgence, uh, again, of this strain from, you know, starting in the Caucasus regions in Georgia, we actually call it the Georgia strain. Um, we, we've seen this disease, devastating disease. This is a, this is a, um, this is a game changer. Um, you get ASF in a herd, um, you're going to see massive losses. Um, and, and again, the, the only way we have out of this, as we know it right now, is to total depop. Um, there is no vaccination for this. Um, when you get it, um, you, 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 there's no half having ASF. Um, so it's uh, devastating. And um, it's been devastating. This thing really, um, I, I was actually in China. This would have been uh, two years ago, August, two years ago, when the ASF started up in, in, in China. And, um, you know, this thing just caught fire there and, and swept through there, um, you know, got into uh into Russia and, you know, as, as crept into Europe, I'll be slowly, you know, and there's been the, the, through the wild boar population, especially in Eastern Europe, we're seeing that move through, um, you know, uh, East to West. So like you said, um, and I think, you know, and, and I'm a very positive person, people will tell you that, but you know, I, I don't think it's a question of if it's a question of when, and how prepared we are for that. Maybe using this COVID-19 as, as an example of, you know, we, we, we have to be ready for this. Um, and, and that's, you know, um, you just got to be ready. When looking at ASF, there's a, there's a lot of individuals that would say, you know, some of these viruses come from these bigger pig farms. But ASF, I mean, that originated in warthogs or wild boars. Uh, isn't that right? Yeah, and soft ticks, yeah. So this is just yeah. one of those natural phenomenons that we're addressing in this day and age. And are there any parallels between Romania, Poland, China, uh, regards to ASF? Yeah, well, you know, I guess as, as you know, obviously COVID-19, that's, that's, you know, that's on the forefront, but you know, this thing, this ASF in the background is still working. We're having, 
we're having um, you know some some things going on in China with transport spread recently. You know, there's been uh, ASF confirmed um, on a truck of piglets in the Sichuan province and on another truck in Inner Mongolia. So as we look, you know, at China, the Sichuan province is a very pig dense area. So you know, that's not a good one. And and Inner Mongolia, um, for for some of the people I work with there, specifically the CP group. And, and others, there's a lot of building, new builds going on in Inner Mongolia. So, um, you know, uh, just like CB19, um, you know, this thing's not going to leave us. We still have to manage manage this. And in Europe, and then you bring, you bring up Poland and Romania, um, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing this active now. And, and I guess as, as I've learned this thing, especially about ASF in, in Europe, this is a kind of a summer, late summer type virus, especially as, a, as, as we're beginning to, to realize this. So we're seeing some activity now in Poland and Romania. Um, so it's early. So um, again, uh, you know, we kind of not catching any breaks here with, the, with this flu situation and with ASF. Um, you know, as, as far as, um, you know, some of the similarities, obviously Poland and Romania, we have the wild boar situation, um, and and this thing has been kind of kind of cooking in Poland, um, and you know it's it's been in this wild boar thing. So I'm not saying that we've been you know complacent or sitting back, but you know this thing's been sitting out there and it's not getting in these high biosecurity farms. But lately, that's changed. Um, you know, in, in Poland recently, there's been a large farm, a conventional 7,000 sow farm um, that that broke with ASF. And, you know, we found out two kilometers uh, away from that was wild boar um, with, with ASF. So, um, yeah, so there's that. So there's that. Is this moving, you know, from the, the wild boar population getting into these conventional herds with high biosecurity? Um, we're starting to see that. There's two recent breaks in Romania. Um, one I'm familiar with because Romania is not the biggest, uh, uh, you know, pig business there. There's a few large players there. Um, and one, I work in the system and, and those, both those systems, I would, I would categorize them as being very high, very high management, very high biosecurity. I would put them at the top, um, in Europe and Russia. Um, so, um, ASF doesn't discriminate based upon high biosecurity or wild boars or anything. It's, 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 um, it's going to find your weaknesses. And, um, so that's where we're at with the current status as I know it. Again, I'm not an expert. I just know what's happening in, the, in my clients and the word out there in, in some of these areas. You know, as far as, uh, um, you know, some of, the, some of the parallels, you know, you have to look at Romania and China being fundamentally, culturally, you know, the, the, having the backyard pigs at home. Um, it's a big part of the culture, um, you know, and, and I'm not saying that that's going to change, but that's inherently what's happening. Um, in China, there's been well-documented cases of, you know, these repopulated farms coming out of ASF, repopulate, you break again, only to find out, you know, the, the village, you know, um, half a mile away has ASF, you know, they might have buried the pigs, got rid of them and brought pigs in on top because there's a perfect storm of high prices in China. And I know the U.S. is on the other end of that, but uh, the reality is people want pigs. So that's only 
kind of continuing this cycle in China. So um, that's the parallel really between, you know, when we look at Eastern Europe, Romania and China is that backyard pig population. And I think we can look to Russia, you know, that's a, that's a real positive because they put a lot of emphasis on the government, the big producers there on, um, you know, reforming some of that backyard production and, and really declining that. And that, I think we can't underestimate how much that has helped with containing ASF. Yeah, I had the opportunity of going to China last September and meeting with some of the bigger pork producers and some of the, the management teams. And it sounded like the government is doing a lot to deregulate and help facilitate the, the growth or uh, implementation of some new farms. I, I'm curious what you're seeing around that and around what your clients are specifically doing about people, biosecurity. I had the opportunity to, to talk with Dr. Thomas Gillespie, who goes to China regularly, and it sounds like their biosecurity processes are pretty extreme, but working. Yeah, you know, um, the, the, the whole people end of that thing is, you know, I, I, I don't know, I look at that very simplistically, and I, and I think that simplistically is working in a lot of places. You know, it's training and understanding of people. Um, and, and I'll speak specifically for, for um, uh, a gentleman I work for in Romania, Dr. Adrian Balaban. Um, you know, he's a great guy, great pig guy, great vet. Um, and, and, you know, in his company there, Pork and Company, um, you know, they, they, they have weekly meetings um, and, and, you know, where it's open, you know, and, and it's all about, you know, and, and I don't want to be, you know, it's all about the culture of getting better every week. And, you know, I see that there um, and, you know, um, people there, people in Romania, you know, people in Eastern Europe, and we're trying to get that word out elsewhere. You know, they, they know the effect that ASF can have, you know, not only on the farm, but them, you know, and, and, and their families and the communities. So um, I, I think, um, you know, a lot around that training and understanding part of that. So it sounds like you have a really good handle on biosecurity and how it's been implemented around the world. Who's been the best? Where are you seeing the best practices? Oof, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. You know, and then in the places I work, you know, you know, Russia, um, you know, a lot of uh, greatly improved with some of the emphasis on, on transport, um, auditing, feed traceability, um, you know, and again, I go back to what I said before, can't under, underestimate what they have done, really reducing that backyard pig population there. I think that's been positive. Um, in Europe, you know, if we go east to west, eastern, eastern Europe, um, you know, I think uh, my clients there uh, really, you know, spend on biosecurity, again, auditing and the teaching um, and, and I think that's really been highlighted in the last 18 months. Because, again, if you're in Eastern Europe, um, you know, uh, if you haven't had ASF, it's because of your biosecurity or because you're lucky. You know, and I think lucky is not a good business model to have or sit back on an ASF. Um, so definitely Eastern Europe, those, those, those systems are good. And Croatia, um, again, I go back to my, my, my friends there at Bellier, um, really high level of understanding and a high level of implementation. Western Europe, Southern, um, you know, honestly, we, we, we've got some work to do there. But, you know, there's, there's a little bit of time. The window to look at what's going on around the world is right now. Um, and, and um, you know, again, I go back to this COVID-19. 
Um, you know, let, let's learn from that. Let's be proactive. Let's get out ahead of that. Because again, um, biosecurity is about spend. It's about um, implementation, you know. And then, um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Do you think uh, what the world's seeing now in COVID-19 is going to create a little bit better perspective or clarity around what animal agriculture does to try to keep animals safe? Yeah, you know, um, we 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 deal with virus all the time, you know, and and managing that. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, it's just inherent to how we manage our systems. To you know, the sanitation, the all in, all out. You know, the 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 understanding of that. Um, you know, we've we've had some, <clears throat> you know, uh, <laughs> some discussions myself with uh, with. Uh, healthcare providers here in Europe about, you know, um, and, and I'm just thinking of this wasn't in my realm of, again, what I'm comfortable with, but, you know, them talking to us about how we manage a farrowing house all in, all out, you know, and how can that, how can the, the you know, and I'm talking to guys who are, what you know, crazy, crazy smart guys, and I'm, you know, a simple pig farmer, and I'm saying, Hey, we manage due dates. We bring them in. We have it sanitized. We 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 take them out. We sanitize it again. We bring it bring in the next um, group of sows, you know. And and how can that work in a hospital situation? So maybe we can help them. Who knows? But again, I'm a simple farmer. Um, but it makes sense to me, um, especially in dealing with virus. But to answer your question. <laughs> Who is the best? Because I, I, I don't, I, I, I want to think about that a little bit. But you know, as I look at this, and I, I can say a hundred percent with confidence, there's no doubt in my mind. And and I have had this conversation before, and people are like, "You've got to be crazy." But it's China. I mean, there is no doubt. The things going on in China, um, uh, you know, um, are just unbelievable. Um, what what's happening there? And it's a the way it's been described to me in China is if we look at the prices and I know what's going on in, in, in North America right now. Um, and, and again, we're seeing some of that effect now in, in, in Europe with some prices dropping. Um, but it's a supermarket, a super supermarket in China, but it's only a supermarket if you're in it. So you have to have really good biosecurity and you have to have implementation and an understanding. So again, the things that, 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 um, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking, specifically about the CP group, unbelievable. Um, no, there's no match right now, and they're not sitting on that. They're going to get better. The one thing that I had heard, and it'd be interesting if you might just walk us briefly through uh, the experience of going into a sow farm in China and how, how long that can be of a process. But it sounds like the biosecurity procedures that they've implemented recently have gone so far that they're actually solving a lot of the problems we still face throughout the world, especially in North America. And, and it, it's just fascinating what we might learn from what they've been doing. How are they able to do this? What is the, what is, what does that process look like? Yeah. So, I mean, when, when you think of China, um, yeah, that's, that's a good question. How they've been able to do that. I mean, some of it is, I mean, it's, it's, it's the market, um, you know, um, the market there has been, I mean, uh, when, when you look at the graph of the world prices, China versus the rest of the world, it's crazy. China's way, way up there. It just, it just ruins, ruins your graph. So, you know, it's, it's, it's market related. Um, 
and and that population is not gonna not gonna go away. It's not gonna shrink, you know. Um, so that's been the real drive behind that. And like you said, the government, you know, they they um, they they want to be more self sufficient. So there's there's spend there's you know um, things behind that. So um, yeah, that's what I'm seeing. And the, and the, you know, if I think about how I get into a farm at CP China, you know, let, let me go through this in my head. Okay, obviously I land. Um, there's a there's a disinfection center. Okay, so in your mind, if you can think of a hotel, because it is, it's a hotel that's designed to bring in supplies, food, and people. Um, and I think I got all those. So all those would be brought into this disinfection center. Um, and for me, um, and for the supplies and the food, let, let, let me talk about food. Uh, the farms in China um, are large farms, and there's an army of people on them. So you have to feed those people. So the amount of food coming in there is unbelievable. Food can be and has been, we think, a vector in some cases for ASF. So the food will actually be go through UV, it'll go through a disinfection uh, solution, and then it will be specifically packaged for those farms. So that's just the food to get in. Um, for me, as I come in and any employee at this disinfection center, I'm actually ASF tested. Um, so they'll test on, by swab my hair, my hands, and my feet. And I will sit there with the other employees um, for about 40 minutes. It's a rapid test, and so far so good. Everything's been good. So once I'm cleared, um, I take a shower, I change my clothes, and I go to China for a month, Matthew, at a time. So I'm there for a long time. I bring a backpack and two change of, changes of clothes, what I, what I fly in and out of, because that's all I need. I'll never see those clothes again. So I shower in at the disinfection center. I could wait overnight. It all depends upon the logistics. But from that shower, I will step directly into a vehicle, a farm dedicated vehicle, as I think about this, disinfected, washed, and then I will go to the farm. So this disinfection center could be 40 miles away from, from one of the farms. So once I make it to the farm, then I go through what, uh, you know, has been put in place and a lot of my clients, um, you know, these dry filters um, and what a dry filter is or dry shower is. It's a place where we know with ASF, the real contact points are hands, um, feet and clothes. So in these disinfection, these dry filters, we'll change our clothes, we'll change our shoes and we will uh, uh, sanitize our hands. Um, you know, like a lot of us are doing now. So then um, I change my clothes and then, then I enter the inner sanctum of the farm, okay? Um, and I arrive to what's called an isolation area, okay, as I think through this. So in that isolation area, I will take another shower, shower in, and I'll have 24 hours downtime, okay? And the kind of the thing that I learned real quick, it's in this 24 hours that your cell phone, and if you're allowed to bring a laptop in, have 24 hours downtime. So um, if you're like me, I haven't been away from my phone for 24 hours in a long time. You get a lot of uh, self-introspection at that point in that 24 hours. Um, then the next day, I will shower into the farm where I'll have another 24 hours down and then clear the next day for a shower out of the living area 
and another shower. So if that sounds like a lot of showers, I think I counted five just to get in. So China, as I walk through that ramble there, it's all about redundancy. It's all about these hurdles. So if I was to come with ASF, which I won't, but if I do, I have to jump through all of these hurdles that are made to stop ASF with each of those hurdles. That is the same for supplies, that is the same for food. So again, that redundancy factor, those five showers, me washing my hands, at least you know disinfecting twice, and I need to go back. All of this is done, with the exception of the showers, were recorded. So all of this is very transparent to whoever wants to look at it, this is done correctly. Thanks for sharing that. That is extremely interesting, all the steps that have to be taken. And it's, it's incredible because it's really unparalleled. Not even doctors or surgeons have to go through such an, an intense process. And I, I looked while you were going through that. And right now, the price of pork per pound in China in American dollars is about nine to 10 times more than in the US. And so it is a mad dash there for pork, which adds to what you said about people in their backyard. I mean, if you, you can raise a few sows in your backyard and market 20 to 30 pigs a, a year, that's a lot of money to be made for some of these households. And so it's got to be difficult for the government to keep that in check. And I, I guess in a world where, let's say, we no longer have COVID-19, we don't have ASF, what's next? What, what else is there to fix? I mean, is the challenge upgrading biosecurity globally to address what what follows you know i i, I you know i i think again we go back to china um and the way it was put to me very simply was it's a great market again as long as you're in it so i think um you know you 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 have to look at you know um you know your, you have to audit your own system. You know, you have to know where your strengths, where your weaknesses are. And, um, you know, I, I think what really is going to define people in biosecurity, because I hear it all the time, you know, how's your biosecurity? It's great. You know, it's easy to say, but you know, what really separates, you know, the good from, from the great is, you know, the, the ability to, you know, prioritize, do your own risk assessments, that audit is fluid in your system. And again, the good from the great is about execution. It's about putting that plan to work. It's about in China, we have these crazy thoughts of we're going to have this disinfection center. We're going to have, you know, people doing this and that. We do it and we do it and we're going to record it to make sure we do it. And the ASF thing is just that, you know, um, two years ago, we would have never thought about doing that. Um, I, I was not, I, I didn't understand the whole isolation area. I just thought it was a waste of time, you know, because I was like, man, I want to get to work. Today, ASF testing, isolation, those five showers, absolutely to be able to stay in that, that great market. If you one question I like to ask to wrap things up is if you had one golden nugget for pork producers or the industry and even maybe consumers, what would that be? Uh, you know, in 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 today's environment, um, you know, it, it, it's it's like I said, you you need to um, to look at your own system as far as the biosecurity, you know, and you know we can talk about ASF, we can talk about PED, all those other things. 
we can talk about COVID-19 now, you know, so, you know, what, what's our own, um, what's our own risk? What, where, where, where do we need to um, maybe have some spend? Where do we need to do some more thinking so that we can stay in this business? Cause there's, there's no doubt, um, you know, and I, and I know my, 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 my heart is still in places like Ames, Iowa and, you know, Newton Grove, North Carolina, Osceola, you know, my heart's still there. There's no doubt that, that this thing's going to come back. We're going to learn from it. But just that, we got to learn and we got to get better. We have to be, we don't have to be average. We got to be great on biosecurity to stay in this and, and make it for the long haul. To sum things up, I really appreciate you coming and talking today on the Popular Pig Podcast. It was great to hear about COVID-19 in Europe, how that's affecting pork producers, how it's being addressed, some of the challenges that have been faced and what needs to be reviewed at least towards the end and as we're moving forward to, to improve. It was great to have you talk about ASF and in addition to COVID to talk about where that is and how it's spreading and some of the procedures in place to help solve that. And then for your your insights to biosecurity in China and all the things that they had seemingly done that seemed over the top, but is working really, really well. I know that you kind of mentioned some of this is out of your comfort zone and you might not be the expert, but in a lot of ways, when you collectively pull all of this together and get a global perspective, you're as good of an expert as anybody. And I really appreciate you for sharing that expertise. My, my, I, thank you, Matthew. My only, my only thought is next time let's talk about some production stuff. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. <laughs> No, I appreciate it. It's been, it's been a real, it's been a real pleasure for me. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. Therefore, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com and subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are available. Today's episode is brought to you by sponsors like SwineTech. Leverage the power of computer vision, voice recognition, and real-time behavioral monitoring to reduce mortalities and labor inefficiencies in the farrowing house. For more information, visit swinetechnologies.com.